Okay, so we have to finish chapter 37. Remember, we had a teeny tiny bit left, but we didn't want to push it, which I think was a very good idea. So we're going to finish up chapter 37, and then we're going to go on to chapters 38 through 40. So 38, 39, and 40. And I'll tell you why we're combining those when we start, okay? Okay, so what did we discuss last week? Last week, we were talking all about the advantage and the importance of doing mitzvahs, right? Action. Why is it all about the action, right? And we spent a lot of time talking about that. And we said, basically, a mitzvah is a means through which the, um, through which the physical remains physical, right? But it's upgraded from a material status to a holy level, okay? So we're keeping the physical item physical, but we're elevating its inherent value, right? And what did we say the quintessential mitzvah is? Is tzedakah. Why did we say that? Because all the effort that you put in to doing a mitzvah, remember we said we elevate the mitz, the object itself. We elevate our animal soul, right? And we elevate any effort that it takes to, to do that mitzvah, the energy, the food that we eat, all the stuff. So with tzedakah, is, it's so amazing because you, let's say you're giving 10% of your earnings to tzedakah. It's not only that 10% that gets elevated. It's your whole income that gets elevated. It's your whole energy that it took for you to make that income gets elevated. So you really, really get a big bang for your buck when you do tzedakah, right? So it has a huge transformational effect. Um, so what we're up to, which is the last little bit of chapter 37, is the Altar anticipates, remember I said, we're going to anticipate the yeah, but, right? So we, we hear, we hear what we're saying about action, right? We get it. It makes sense. But remember when we focused on how transformational Torah study is, right? Like we've done that a few times throughout the Tanya, um, describing the, what that, you know, that Torah, is God's inner will. You collect God's innermost will when you learn Torah, especially halacha, right? And how um, we trans our, ourselves, sorry, I have a hair in my, um, um, how we transform like everything, like we have, a, we connect to God on such an intimate level through Torah study, right? So how do we reconcile these two concepts? What is better, Torah or mitzvahs? Now, this is where I um, want to reiterate this concept, which I feel comes up so many times in our day-to-day -day life, okay? Nothing is black and white. Guys, we have to stop living in an absolute reality. It's this or that, right? The only thing that the Tanya says is black and white is either you're connecting or disconnecting. There's no such thing as in between, right? So that is black and white. Whatever we're doing is either bringing us closer to Hashem or farther from Hashem. But barring that, things are fluid, right? Depends on which context, right? Depends on what we're talking about. Depends on what we're trying to accomplish. So I think 
you know, I don't know if it's nowadays or always, but I think we try to simplify the world into black or white, good or bad, right? And that is something that I, you know, feel strongly about that I want to explore more separate from our Tanya class, maybe do a, a couple lives on that or whatever, bring some guests, but it's a very, very important concept. And his is another example of that idea, right? So what are you trying to accomplish? So the Tanya ends by kind of clarifying this with for us, right? If we are looking for personal transformation, okay, where you get the most out of the experience and you're looking for self-refinement, Torah study is going to get you there in a deeper way, okay? If we're trying to accomplish global transformation, right, and we're trying to create a dwelling place for God in this world, mitzvahs are going to get you there in a more effective way. Okay. Now, self-refinement is great, but what is our ultimate goal? Why were we put into this world? Not for self-refinement, right? Remember we said we have to ask that question. What's your purpose? Are you here to just self-serve and make yourself a better person? Or are you here to do what God wants? right? So if you're here to do what God wants, and if you're here to transform the world, which guys all together, you should tell me, what does God want? This should just come out in your sleep, a dwelling place for him in this world, right? He wants a home down here in this world. How do we get that home down here in this world? Action, 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 right? So bottom line, you want to be one with, you want to be one, you want to do what God wants and in turn be one with him, action. You want to make this world a dwelling place for God, action. Okay? So that's how, um, yeah, actions speak louder than words. So, so, so true. So that is the end of chapter 37. Any questions before we kind of zoom right along into our next topic because we're going to go now to a completely different topic question uh comment that i don't know that if i made this connection before in my head yeah. that part of creating a dwelling place for hashem in this world is by actualizing your mission yes. um i don't know if i like totally made that connection. right right so so sarah says basically if you tap into what your mission, remember when we said, like, if you're feeling situationally depressed or kind of lost or not knowing what you're here in this world for, right? The Tanya, like, literally tells us, right? Do what God wants. You will find your mission that way. You will understand why you're here in this world. So when we do that, when we tap into our mission, right, which is doing what God wants, which is doing mitzvahs, which is doing actions, that is how we affect the change in the world that God is looking for right? That's how we create the home that he feels comfortable being in. Okay. So chapter eight, 38 through 40, we're going to go into a whole new topic, which is actually a di in direct contrast to what we've just been discussing, obviously, right? We do that, right? We do all focus on this and then we're like, well, what about this? Right? So here we are. The main point, okay, so the reason why I want to do 38, 39, and 40 together is because it's all going to address the concept of kavana. What does kavana mean? Intention, right? So up until now, 35, 36, 
36 and 37, we've been talking about action, right? Now we're going to the direct contrast of that subject and talking about intention. So all these three chapters um, address that. Now, the reason why I'm doing it all together is because th these three chapters could be the most technical, abstract, difficult chapters, okay? And being that this is a, an overview of the Tanya, right? We're not getting into every single minutia of the Tanya because that's just not what this class is about. We can do that next if you want. But we're, we're trying to get the concepts down and we're definitely trying to um, learn Tanya in a way that's translated practically. So most of Tanya is a practical application. And so are these chapters practical applications. So what we're doing is we're pulling out the practical applications of these chapters without getting too distracted by the, the, the abstract ideas. Because there's a lot of levels and worlds and you know, things moving and going and what happened, you know, so we, that's important. I'm not saying that it's not important to study and maybe we'll get there, but not in context to what we're trying to do right now. What we're trying to do is understand the Tanya in a way that's practically applicable. So we're not skipping these chapters because they're super important, but we're combining them and pulling out from them what we can do, use actionably. Does that make sense? Okay. So Basically, um, so the last three chapters, we focus on action. Why did we focus on action? Just to give us, remember, we always like to bring context to what we're doing. We, we talked about the action because remember, we were comforting the Bainani on his um, service of God, right? And he was concerned that he wasn't emotionally um, getting where he wanted to be. And he felt like the behavioral service is second class. And we spent a long time saying, not so. Even a tzaddik who's emotionally perfect still has to carry out the mitzvahs, right? So we now understand that this service is the service that God is looking for. So we feel we feel better, right? We feel good about this. So now um, we need to talk about intention because yes, we focus so much on action and action is where it's at, we don't want to move so far to the other side that we forget that intention is important as well, right? So um, we don't want to like we don't want to focus on only doing the right thing. We want to focus on what's our intention behind doing the right thing. Okay, so the Tanya actually like equates uh, mitzvahs and kavana. If I use the word kavana now, do you understand that that's intention? Okay, um, I'll, I'll switch back and forth. But if I say kavana, kavana means intention. So if we we take mitzvah and kavana, mitzvah can be compared to the body, and kavana is compared to the soul. Okay, and we're gonna we're going to elaborate on that more, right? So these three chapters are going to focus on the importance of intention. But the Alter Rebbe is, is smart and he's and it's interesting because. Before he even tells us what intention is in this context and how important it is, he wants to remind us how important action is. Okay, so it's still like it's still on the forefront of our minds. We don't want it, we don't want to swing in either direction that allows us to forget about the opposite concept. Okay. 
So, we, so what does the Altar say? Just to bring home that point of action, he says, even a mitzvah, which we touched upon last week, and I think Kari asked a question about it, but even a mitzvah like prayer, like saying the blessings, like saying Shema at night, right? Even those mitzvahs that are more like, can be not so actionable, right? What did we do to make sure that they're actionable? We add verbal, we add the like the speech to it, right? So if you meditate on the Shema or if you think about saying the blessings, that is not actually effectively doing the mitzvah, okay? So in order to do those mitzvahs, you have to verbally express them. So even the mitzvahs that you could technically do in your brain, the, um, Hashem says, no, please verbalize it because action is what's going to affect change in this world. Okay. So we, we, it needs to ground action is what grounds these, these experiences. Okay. So, um, that's why we say like, so without the physical component, it's not the mitzvah, right? So we, in meditating on something, if you're like, I I've had experiences with, you know, in my family in particular, well, I, I connect to God in my own way, right? And I pray to him in my mind what he needs to know, right? And my response to that is that is wonderful, right? So great that you have, and this, and this is not sarcastic, this is for real. It's so great that you have a connection to God that you feel you can speak to him in whatever mode and however you want to that's not prayer, right? That's not the prayer that God gave us to do. So there are two separate things. There, it's connection in a way that makes you feel connected and you feel grounded, which is very important. And there's prayer, which is saying the words that God gave us to say, right? So there's, so that's important. Now, so, but, so now, so Dalton reminded us, action is the most important, but we do need to understand the importance of intention, okay? And like I said before, the, the mitzvah without intention is like a body without a soul, okay? So, um, and there's another, um, I listen to one of the, one of why, the ways I prepare for Tanya is I, I do listen to Shay's Tab and I do read, the practical Tanya and I get all my ideas and and there's two um, metaphors that Chase uses to explain certain concepts that I think are very powerful. So I'm going to share them as well. So let's say there, so this is a, a scenario that I wanna bring forth and we're gonna compare it to um, Torah and mitzvahs, okay? So, and action and emotion. Okay, so let's say you have, there's a, a family, right? And the father, the man of the house is, cannot function and cannot start his day without coffee, okay? I'm sure a lot of us can relate to that. So you can't start your day without coffee. So he gets up in the morning and he doesn't realize, but they're totally out of coffee, okay? And he's, he's like not functioning, not, doesn't have the coffee. He can't move on with his day. His wife comes into the kitchen and she sits down and commiserates with him. Oh my gosh, I also love coffee so much, right? I also, you know, wish we had coffee. And they start talking about the different flavors of coffee and all the ins and outs of coffee, okay? Their teenage daughter standing by the door doesn't like coffee, 
Okay, but sees and understands that her father can't function without coffee. So she quietly goes to the store, brings the coffee and hands it to her father. Okay, even though she doesn't relate to his issue, right? But he, she gets the point. My dad needs coffee. I'm going to go get the coffee, right? So I want you to think for a second. And I'm going to give you some parameters. The desire for the coffee is Hashem's desire for a mitzvah. Okay, the dad's desire for coffee is compared to Hashem's desire for mitzvahs to be done. Okay. Oh, okay. Right. And the wife and the daughter are two different ways of responding to that desire. Right. So who would you compare the wife to? And who would you compare the daughter to? Let's say your daughter is doing the mitzvah. The daughter is doing the mitzvah. Which is what type of person? The Benani, right? Oh, the person okay. who focuses on the action. The daughter's doing the mitzvah. She's focusing on the action. The wife is the tzaddik, maybe. It's obviously not a perfect metaphor because the tzaddik ends up doing the mitzvah also, right? In the end, he has the feelings. He also does the mitzvah, but for practical purposes, we're leaving that out of the story for a minute. The, the wife is the tzaddik who's focused on the emotions. They're emotionally connected way more than the daughter's connected. But guess what? With the wife, they're emotionally connected, but he still doesn't have the coffee, right? With the daughter, she doesn't understand why she's, um, why her father needs the coffee so badly. She doesn't understand the meaning behind it but she understands the need. So she does the action. She does the mitzvah, okay? So that's another way of, of, of bringing home the point of the importance of the action, right? Even if you don't know why you're doing it, even if you don't have the right intention behind it, you're still getting it done. As per uh, connecting emotionally, great, it feels good, but, but he still doesn't have the coffee, right? So... And until the tzaddik fulfills the will of Hashem, so let's say the tzaddik is feeling all emotionally connected, right? He's he's just one in line with God. He wants what God want, God wants. But until he does the actual action, the emotion is um, doesn't really bring the satisfaction to Hashem that the action does. Okay. So um, that was a metaphor to reiterate the importance of action. So we can now, it, it helps us with the foundation to now go further. So we don't want to go too much to the extreme and forget about the component of it intention. Okay. So although these chapters can be a little abstract and technical, we're going to bring it down in a way that makes it very useful. Okay. And um, one of the concepts that we speak about is um, the concept of the spies. Remember the spies in the, in the story, in the biblical story, where they're about to get into the land of Israel and um, Moshe sends 12 spies into the land and they come back and they say, don't go. We're gonna, we're gonna die. It's horrible. It's a disaster. Don't go, right? So um, what, like, why? Why do they do that? Why do they say that? It was too much work for them. Exactly. So what happens is that 
there was a misconception. There was a misunderstanding, right? The, first of all, all the spies were men. Okay, we're going to get to understand that why that's important. But what they, what they misunderstood was the importance of the physical action in the service of God right? So they were in the desert. They had it spiritually made, right? They didn't have to do anything. Manna came from heaven. They drank from Miriam's well, and they studied Torah, right? They didn't have to put any physical exertion. And what they saw when they went into the land of Israel was that in order for this to work, they're going to have to toil the land. A lot of the mitzvahs are only applicable to the land of Israel, right? And they're like, we're going to get sucked in, right? How are we going to remain spiritual if we get sucked into the mundane? So they came back and they said, bad idea. We're not doing this, right? They didn't have bad intentions. They weren't malicious in their, in their, in their, in their report. They just really didn't think that they can hack it. They thought that being spiritual was the most important thing. They didn't understand that really what God wants is the spiritual to be integrated into the mundane. And that is um, very typical of the male-female dynamic, right? Men um, are more theoretical, more abstract. They like the concepts, the ideas, the intellect to study, whatever. And women really perceive the godliness within creation. They recognize that in order for God to really be here in this world is to bring him into the day-to-day -day life, okay? So the spies wanted to sit, right, and meditate and appreciate the spirituality of, of Judaism, right? And they were terrified to apply it to real life, okay? So that, so they came back and they're like, we can't do it. We can't do it. It's not going to work. We're because men get so physically distracted, right? Why does a man wear? Why does a man have to wear a yarmulke? Because if they don't have a constant reminder that there's somebody above them, they're gonna they're gonna forget. Women don't need that reminder. We live it, right? We live bringing God in our day to day lives. And yes, I I I. I understand that I'm generalizing, but just take the generalization for what it is and be okay with it. <laughs> um, so, so they're like, let's, let's preserve Torah, right? And not deal with the real world. It's too complicated. It gets hard, right? And that's where they were very mistaken, right? Judaism must be applied to everyday life or else it doesn't accomplish what it's meant to accomplish. Okay, so here's another example of how Judaism is action-based, right? But you can't dis discount the value of intention. So after really, even in this chapter, spending so much time talking about, remember the importance of action, wh where's the place for intention? Okay, where do we put this intention? What does it mean to have intention in our actions and how do we do it? Okay, so 
it's not, and, and another thing it's important to understand that this is not, remember how last chapter we ended with the yeah, but, right? This is not, this is not a yeah, but, or a backtrack or a clarification, right? This is on the trajectory of our journey, right? So it's not like we're, we're taking back what we said about action and replacing it with intention. We're adding, we're, we're becoming, we're more evolved, right? The Tanya layers its information as we master each step and can handle the next level. So without a shadow of a doubt, you cannot have um, an intention without an action, but you can have an action without an intention. Right, so we must master the action before we bring in the attention. Okay, you're with me? Yeah, for people who I can see their faces. Um, <laughs> so, we, the, so the bottom line is, so this is part of the, sorry, I lost my turns out. Part of, so part of the trajectory of this um, journey is now that we remember we are uh, placated with our journey of action, right? We know that it's the right thing. And now we have to add the intention to it. The bottom line is, is that what did I, was it last week or two weeks ago where I said, this is not a self-help program? I don't remember. It was, I don't know. Recently, remember we said we have to ask ourselves a hard question right? This is not a self-help program, right? In the sense that this is about your own spiritual achievements. This is not what this is about, okay? It's about serving God and giving him what he wants. So what does he want? In your sleep, what does he want? A home, a home, a home. To make right? a dwelling place. A dwelling place for him in this world. He wants a home, right? Um, he wants a home in this physical world. How do we give him that? Action mitzvahs. Action mitzvahs. Why? Why? Why is why does actions give him what he wants? Because it elevates the world. Right. And it has nothing to do with you, right? You are a chair. Remember, we are a chariot for God's will. It's not about us. We put ourselves aside. We do the mitzvahs, whether we understand them or not. And that's what creates the space for Hashem to feel comfortable here, right? So you, you cannot be motivated. Okay, I'm going to say this thing and it's, it's, it's a thing, okay? But you cannot do what God wants for personal spiritual motivation. You're going to be disappointed, right? Like, yes, you might feel so much better and spiritually more connected by doing a mitzvah, but it can't be the reason why you do the mitzvah. Right. And, the, and the, the, the best mitzvah I have for that example is, is the mitzvah of family purity. Right. Because if you hear people talk uh, about the mitzvah of family purity who've experienced it, they'll tell you, oh my gosh, it enhances the marriage. And it's so amazing. I mean, besides for the hardships, but there are a lot of benefits to the mitzvah of family purity. But that's not why we do the mitzvah. Right. Hashem didn't say keep the mitzvah of family purity because it's going to enhance your marriage. Right? So keep, mitzvahs of family purity is, is one of the mitzvahs that fall into the category of we don't know why we do it. Right? Because God said so. So 
Yes, it might enhance your marriage, right? You might get benefits out of it, but that's that can't be your motivation to do it. So doing the mitzvahs to be spiritually connected to Hashem for your own spiritual development is not the right intention for a mitzvah. The, myth, the intention needs to be because I want to do what, I want to make God happy. I want to give God what he wants, okay? So, um, so 38 through 40 comes and tells us the importance of intention and why is intention so important, Okay. So intention means it's an, it's using your emotions, right? What are you doing with intention? You're using your emotions, okay? In chapter four, okay? Well, this is a very, very long time ago, but we've, we keep on repeating, so we should know. In chapter four, we speak about the garments of our soul, right? Thought, speech, and action, right? And emotions play an important role for the motivation for the mitzvah. Remember we said in chapters 10 and uh, maybe 15, 16, right? With meditation, it's very hard to stay motivated to do a mitzvah if you're not emotionally congruent, right? Like there's only so much you can have impulse control and just shut it down and shut it down and shut it down, right? So we use our emotions as much as we can to keep us motivated. That is one use of the emotions. That's not what we're saying here. What we're saying here is that emotions onto itself have a benefit, not as a means to an end, right? Not to keep us motivated to do the mitzvah, but emotions itself, the intention itself is important onto its own. So we don't want to confuse with, when we say emotions in the mitzvah or intention, we don't want to confuse this with what we've learned before about why do we need emotions for motivation, Okay, that's one, one part of it, but we're past that right now. Right now we're talking about emotions onto itself. What is the value and the benefit of emotions onto itself? Okay, any questions before I continue? Because I feel like, whoa, I'm just kind of plowing right, right through here, you know? Um, okay, you'll, anyone? Um, uh, can I ask a question? Yes, please. I'm wondering about, if there's a difference in terms of like, I don't, I don't have like the perfect word for this, but maybe it's emotions in the first part and something about like where our attention is in terms of the intentionality. Yeah, um, absolutely. There's definitely um, a, a differentiation. The most like, although it also could be interchangeable depending on how you look at it, right? Because what's gonna keep us motivated um, is by having the right intentions, by wanting to want to serve Hashem, right? So there's that. And then there's the emotion of like, the intention that I'm having is actually enhancing the experience itself. Mm -hmm. Not getting me to do the experience, but it's enhancing the experience. Right. It's not future oriented, it's present. Right. So um, it's the, we're, the emotion we're talking about is we already are doing the mitzvah. Mm -hmm. We're already motivated. We're already doing it, right? What benefit does the emotion have at this point? Right? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's okay. helpful. Thank you. Okay. So, um, so what we want to say is, yeah, they're important. Like what you're saying, they're inherently important. They have a role onto itself. So a mitzvah without an emotion is not, so a mitzvah with an emotion is not the same as a mitzvah without an emotion, okay? Mitzvah with intention is not the same as a mitzvah without intention. So yes, obviously both of them get the action done, but you can't compare 
a mitzvah that you do for the right reasons in the right headspace for a mitzvah that you do with your hands tied behind your back and you're forced to, right? Or, or for selfish reasons, right? There, you can't compare. Okay, so what, so what is it? Action, the action is giving Hashem a dwelling place for God. The emotion is, well, what kind of dwelling place for, for God are you creating? What's the quality of the home? Okay, so we're going to get into this more, but quick, and a quick example is when you um, do a mitzvah, you're creating a home for God, but who said the lights are on, right? Who said the heat's on? right? The intention is how comfortable is God in this home? Is he cold and is it cold and dark, right? Or is it light and bright and cozy with a fireplace on and a blanket, right? The, the, the more in line your intention is, the, the quality of the dwelling place goes up exponentially. Okay, we're going to- You have to and, elevate your home. You have to elevate yeah, it, your I home. I mean, it, it becomes- uh, a home instead of a house, right? Because a home instead of a house. Um, so then we get into a little bit, in a minute, we'll get into a little bit of the technicalities of what actually happens. But basically there are degrees of the quality of the home. There is a continuum, it is a spectrum. It's not like all homes are created equal. Right? Just like if you go down a neighborhood, that home is beautiful. This home is a little rundown. This one, the electricity is not working. You know what I'm saying? Like, so just because we say we're creating a home for God doesn't mean we're creating him a home that he's going to feel comfortable in. Yes, bottom line, he needs a home, right? He needs shelter, bottom line. So, yes, do we give him shelter or do we give him a beautiful, luxurious dwelling place? And that's what intention does. Okay? So, the emotions are going to enhance the effect of the mitzvah, right? And we have, we have the, our objective is to fulfill Hashem's deepest desires, right? And we know that, just like we said, we need to serve Hashem with joy because that gives us the, the best possible way to serve him, right? We want to do a good quality job, right? And in order to do a good quality job, that takes some effort, emotional effort on our part, right? Um, and that's why we say the mitzvahs are the body and the intention is the soul because we really need both, right? We really need both. If we want to do this right, we really need both. Can you get away with only doing it, only doing the mitzvah, only having the body? You can get away with it. But is that what you want your work to look like? Right? Like, not so much. So, um, when we do the mitzvah with intention, you're doing the mitzvah the way Hashem wants it to be done, right? And it's just, you have more oomph, right? It has more power, it has more effectiveness. Don't confuse it with hitter mitzvah. Don't confuse it with actually like um, spending more money on your esrog, right? That's still under the mitzvah category. That's still part of the action category. You're just doing an action in a a better, more expensive way, right? Which is great. That doesn't really touch the intention part of it. Why are you doing it in a more expensive way? Because you want to have the biggest estrog on the block, right? Or because you want to give your best to God, 
right? That's where the intention matters. Javi, I'm thinking about like, if you're like offering someone a seat, like if you see that someone needs a seat and you're sitting on the couch and like, you're really comfortable on the couch and you're like, yeah, yeah, sure. Here, come sit down next to me. Or be like, please come join me. That right. like, it's like, like, oh, I have- down will be so much more comfortable, like physically more comfortable. Yes. I love that you, example, like, right? That. It's like, you get up for the person, oh, because my mother taught me that I have to stand up for my elders and I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. Or do you jump up and are excitedly offering this older person a seat, right? And that's going to matter how he, that person feels in the seat, right? So it's a very, very good example. I love it. Okay. So now we come to our second um, story metaphor that um, I learned from Shay's Taub that really illustrates this concept beautifully. And this is um, about uh, eating at a restaurant with a waiter. Okay, so let's say you um, go to a restaurant, you're celebrating a milestone, anniversary, birthday, whatever. It's great. You have a big, you have a big group and you have a waiter that is uh, so charismatic, excuse me, and you, and he's giving you a show and he's so kind and he's making all the kids laugh and he's so welcoming and you make an order and you get your order and everything is rock, right? You don't get what you ordered. He mixes everything up and it's really kind of disappointing. Um, so Instagram, do you still hear me? Give me a heart if you hear me because it's somebody called and interrupted. So I hope it didn't knock anybody off. Um, so, um, no, I lost my train of thought. Oh, so you, um, so yeah, there's, that's one example. And then you have an example of you go to the restaurant and you have a kind of dull waiter, right? He's not very charismatic. He's not super kind, but he gets your order right on the money. Like everything is, is right. Everything is good. Everyone gets what they wanted, right? And then you have the waiter, you can't hear. Oh, man. Okay, hold on a second. I'm going to X out and start again. Well, if they joined us on Zoom. You know what? True (laughs) that. True that. We're back. We're back. We're back. If you hear me, please say thumbs up or something. Tell me something. I have this one. Um, it's actually a show. Okay. You hear me? Yes. Okay, good. Like we said, if you were with us on Zoom, you wouldn't have to be interrupted. Anyway. Um, okay, so you have you have um And then you have an experience where you have a waiter who gets everything right and um, does, you know, is really on top of his game, does his job well, and he's also has a smile on his face and he's kind, right? And he's he's pleasant, right? That's going to enhance your experience so much more. So let's say you had a choice. Let's say your only choice was between the very, very charismatic show person waiter or the waiter that gets everything right what are you going to choose you didn't go to a broadway show you went to a restaurant to get the food you wanted right 
So you're going to pick the, the waiter that gets the food right, just because that's what you, that's what you want. That's what you're going for, right? But what happens if you get the waiter that gets the order right, does the action, but also has the nice ambiance? That is going to take it to the next level. So that's what we have here. Either he gets a big tip. <laughs> and he gets a big tip. Exactly. So either we we do um, mitzvahs, right? Without intention, we just do them because we do them because we have to do them and we're told to do them and yada, yada. But, but at least the mitzvah is getting done, right? With the waiter that, that is just a show person, that's what intention without a, a mitzvah is. Great intentions, but doesn't get you anywhere. That's why you can't have intention without an action. You could have action without intention. But what's the ultimate experience? The ultimate is experience is when you have somebody who's doing the action with the proper intention, it, it's not, not comparable, which will probably make you want to go back to that restaurant. If you just had the waiter that got the order right, you're probably not going to want to go back. Even if you got all the food. Are you kidding me? So sorry. Okay, I'm not going to start again. Um, now I'm going to just. Excuse me, excuse me, I'm very sorry. So why your kids don't listen to you. Because <laughs> it's for sure a kid. Yeah. Okay. Now we have to go back. Do you hear me? Okay. Well, let me know strong me. Zoom argument. Strong Zoom argument, strong. literally. <clears throat> um, okay, I don't think they hear me, so we're gonna start again. And now she's not gonna call back because told her not to. Okay, thank you for your patience. I feel bad, you know, to leave them hanging, although maybe I should, and they've learned their lesson. Okay, so. Um, okay, sorry guys. Um, hope it's not gonna happen again. Okay, so come back. Now, um, so sorry about that, everybody. Hopefully it won't happen again. It was a child who needed to be told not to call me. Um, okay, so now, um, okay, so we have a comment that says, I've heard of the idea that if you think of doing a good thing, then you get some of the points. Um, I wanna argue with that. I don't, it's like all roads to hell are paved with good intentions, right? Like you don't really get any points. Points are when you do the mitzvah. When you do the mitzvah and then you do the mitzvah with intention, then you get bonus points. But it doesn't really work the other way around. Does that make sense? But are we really here to get points? Well, I mean, points in the sense of doing, like accomplishing what the mitzvah is supposed to accomplish. Well, no, we're not here to get personal points. That's not what we're doing. But I'm translating points as 
making a dwelling place for God, right? Like doing what the mitzvah is supposed to be doing. That's why intentions don't work on its own. Because intentions on its own is usually sell a little, okay, we're going to digress here, but I think it's important. Intentions on its own is usually kind of a self-serving exercise, right? I want to connect to God. I really think he's spiritual. I really think it's great, but I really don't want to do what he wants me to do. What? Right? I thought they were calling again. That was my face. No, no, someone walked in, but it's not a phone call. Um, Yeah. Right. So if you think about it and you're being really honest with yourself, when we feel spiritual and I, but I feel so connected to God, right. Even though I don't do any of the things he wants me to do. Take that. I'm not judged. There's no judgment here, right. There's no judgment here, but, but we have to be honest with ourselves, right. If we're feeling spiritual, but not really doing what God wants us to do, that is not a godly exercise that is a self-serving exercise how can you feel spiritual if you're not doing the mitzvahs because you could, that- you could feel- that because spiritual doesn't equal godly you could feel spiritual but you're not gonna it's not godly oh right that spirit you could feel spiritual you can sit on the top of a mountain and meditate and appreciate god and feel spiritual right it doesn't make it a godly exercise. Now, if you sit on the top of the mountain and you daven, or you learn Torah, or you light Shabbos candles, or whatever, that makes it a godly experience on top of it being a spiritual experience. Okay? So, now I want to kind of break down, and hopefully we'll have time to finish. Otherwise, that's okay. We can finish next time. Um, I want to break down what each chapter adds to this conversation. Okay, so chapter 38, a mitzvah without kavana is like a body without a soul, right? That's what the chapter 38 is saying, right? And what we're adding here is that there are two levels of mitzvah action, and there's two levels of the mitzvah emotion, okay? Which, this is where we get technical, but I'm giving you the part that we can handle, okay? which correspond to the four letters of Hashem's name, Yud, K, Vav, K, okay? And which in turn correspond to the four kingdoms of the world. What's the four kingdoms of the world? Inanimate, plant, animal, human, right? We have four kingdoms of the world. Inanimate objects, plant objects, animal and human. Okay, so we have four we have four types of mitzvah categories, right? Two emotions, two actions, which correspond to the four letters of Hashem's name, which correspond to the four kingdoms of the world. Okay? If you want to be writing this down, that's fine. I'm sorry I don't have a diagram to show you. Yes. When Three. you say four kingdoms of the world, you don't mean the four worlds. No, the I don't world, mean the four the worlds. worlds. I mean the four no. levels of um, uh, li- like life, right? Okay. Because, right? Four levels of life. Um, now, if we take the bottom two kingdoms of the world, so we have the inanimate and the vegetable, right? Or the plant, inanimate and the plant. 
those two correspond to the two actionable mitzvahs, right? The two types of action. Okay, right? So the lowest action, the lowest type of mitzvah is the actual action of the mitzvah, like a full-on actionable mitzvah, like Shabbos candles, putting on tefillin, tzedakah, etc. right? Which in turn corresponds to the inanimate. Okay. And is that what without intention? Yeah, right now without intention. Okay. Right? Just the action, right? Okay. Um, that, and that's why it's the lowest level. Okay. Okay. Then you have the higher level mitzvah, which is the mitzvah of like the prayer and the blessings that we add the speech to, right? That corresponds to the plant kingdom. Okay. And then we have the two intention, the two levels of intention. Okay, so we have the lower level of intention is when we use our instinctive emotions, right? When we use our instinctive emotions, when we um, cannot intellectually generate our emotions, what do we rely on? We've learned this in Tana, we rely on our latent emotions that we were gifted with, right? That is corresponds to the animal kingdom because the animals are instinctive, right? They don't have intellectually generated emotions. They have instinctual emotions. So let's say when we do a mitzvah, when we choose one of those actionable mitzvahs and we want to add intention to it, the lower level of intention is when we are just acting on impulse. We're acting on the, the, the emotions that are already within us that we're tapping into. If we want to move even to a higher level of intention, what do you do? You need to create those emotions through your intellect. The most powerful emotions come when we generate them intellectually. How do we do that? Through meditation, right? We meditate on these concepts that will generate the love and the awe of God intellectually, right? That's the highest form of intention. Okay, you're with me so far? Almost. The okay. third level, how is that different? Like, or is that inherently, uh, are, oh, trying to formulate the question, are the emotions that are at that third level inherently God-serving or is some of that also self-serving? Um, okay, so good question. What I'm referring to is, remember we talked about, after we talked about the concept of meditation and we had a trouble with the concept of meditation. Why? Because it takes a long time to generate those intellectually driven emotions, right? And what happens if we need to serve God with an emotion right away, right? How do we intellectually, how do we do that? We tap into that ahava mesuteras, right? That latent love that comes about when we view any mitzvah as a connection or a disconnection. Right. So if we view mitzvahs as I'm connecting to God, I have to do it right now. That's what's evoking that emotion. And if we view, if I don't do this mitzvah, then I'm disconnecting and that evokes the fear. Right. So I don't, I don't view it as self-serving, but it's definitely a, a emotionally driven experience instead of intellectually generating the, the emotion that, that is, lasts way longer and is more as more authentic okay does that answer the question yeah okay so we have um so so if we can't 
generate those emotions intellectually through meditation, we have a backup, right? But it's one step lower than the intellectually driven, driven um, uh, emotion. So we have this level, this hierarchy, right? We have mitzvahs that are just action. That's inanimate, right? It's the lowest level of mitzvahs. You have mitzvahs that are action plus the prayer, right? That's the next level. Then you have the mitzvah, the mitzvah that you do with the instinctual emotion, that's one step up. And then the highest step is the mitzvah that you do with the intellectually driven emotions that you've created. Okay, that's the highest level. That's chapter 38. Okay, chapter 39 talks about angels. And it says, it actually refers to angels as chayas. One of the Hebrew terms for angels are chayas. What are chayas? They're animals. Why are angels called animals? Because they have that instinctual emotion. They're not creating the love for Hashem from an intellectually driven place. They're creating it because that's how God created them, to, to instinctually um, love God. And they don't really have a choice, right? Um, and that is more natural for them. And um, the relationship between Kavana, uh, and then we introduce, so we're saying we're not, we're not angels, right? Why do we bring in the angel piece? Because we are comparing ourselves to angels and we're not angels. We have the ability to do mitzvahs with the intention that surpasses angels. Okay. And what happens in chapter 40 is that we bring another metaphor for um, mitzvahs versus kavana. Okay, so mitzvahs are compared to birds and kavana is compared to the wings of the bird, right? So you can have a bird without wings, but it doesn't soar, it doesn't fly. So mitzvahs without kavana, the, the mitzvahs don't soar, they don't fly. What does that mean practically? What does it mean a mitzvah doesn't fly? That if you do a mitzvah without intention, the mitzvah stays down here in this world. It affects change in this world, but it doesn't go any further. Okay, so depending on how you do your mitzvah will determine how high and to which level, worldly level, the mitzvah goes to. Okay, so the greater the intention, the higher the mitzvah source. Right? So this is where this technical Kabbalistic things come in. But why is it important to understand this? What do we care? If the whole point of being down here is to affect change in this world, why do we care if the mitzvah doesn't soar? It's still doing what it needs to do in this world, right? And this is what we're going to end off with. And I'm sorry, the meditation will go a little bit over time. And you, you know, if you have to go, you have to go. But I just want to end off properly that. Oh, the, when is the ultimate dwelling place of the world going to be actualized? When Mashiach comes, right? When Mashiach comes, that's when we're going to actually experience this dwelling place for God. How, what determines what the dwelling place is going to look like? What determines whether the dwelling place is going to be a house with no lights and cold or this house is going to be beautiful with a fireplace with and fully furnished, right? What determines the physical dwelling place of Hashem in this world when Mashiach comes is how high our mitzvah soar right now.
Okay, so it is a little technical, but just think about it for a second. The, the trajectory of the mitzvahs right now in this physical world, what we do right now is going to directly determine the type of dwelling place for Hashem in this world that's going to be manifested in the times of Mashiach. And that's why it's important. Because it's not only about right now, it's about creating this dwelling place for Hashem when Mashiach comes, that's the ultimate. Okay, so how we do our mitzvahs right now directly determines and affects what Mashiach times are going to look like. So if you want to know what's it going to be like when Mashiach comes, well, we don't know because we're still, we're still affecting that reality. Okay, and every single time you do a mitzvah in the, with the proper intention, you are lighting up the dwelling place for, for God in this world. And there's a question here, when you take everyone together, each person separately. So, so it's both, right? We each affect change personally, and we each create a dwelling place for God personally within ourselves, which we'll talk about at a different point. But as far as Mashiach times, that's a collective endeavor. That's why you can have very, very, very holy people living here right now. Why is it Mashiach here? Because it's a collective endeavor. It doesn't matter this holy person is affecting the proper change. We all need to be affecting the proper change at, at any certain levels. And collectively, when we each participate, what's the drop in the bucket that's going to push us over, right? You never know which mitzvah is going to be the tipping point for Mashiach to come, right? So every single action we do, every single thing we do is part of this collective goal, right? So remember we said last week, we're not replaceable, right? The thing that you need to do, nobody else can do. So don't think like, if I don't do it, somebody else will. So that is how we're going to end class. 7.58, we're going to do a quick meditation. Yes, Karee? I have a Parsha class starting in two minutes. Okay. Go right Thank ahead. You. Thank you for Thank being you. here. Anyone who has to go, I totally understand. But we did it, guys. We finished chapter 37, and we covered the concept of Kavana in a way that is practical for us. So we didn't get to every single detail and every single um, situation but we got what we needed, okay? So now, take a deep breath. I want you to remember and try to practice that intentional breathing that we brought in last time, remember? Where we want to breathe in through our tip of the nose, expand your chest into your belly, and then when you exhale, you expand your belly up and through out the tip of your nose. Okay, so I'm gonna stop talking for a second and I want you to just focus on your breath. And when you have intentional breath, it helps your mind stay focused on your breath and not wander. While you're focusing on your intentional breath, I also want you to try to visualize like a really, really bright light coming into your body and melting away any tension 
that you might still be holding on to. Okay. So kind of observe where you're holding that tension and focus that light that just absolves all that stress and worry and just let it go. And I'm going to sum up this class just really, really quickly, because I think there's just one main thing that we have to understand. Where does intention fall into our journey? Where, where do we, why, and where do we bring in this intention? Because we know that action is number one, right? We can't have intention without action, but we must not forget the intention because what the intention does is enhance the mitzvah the mitzvah's um, effect, right? So when we do a mitzvah, we are creating a dwelling place for God. We're creating a house for Hashem. When we do the mitzvah with intention, it determines the quality of the house that we're creating for Hashem. And that's all that I want you to think about right now. Okay? What quality of home do I want to create for Hashem? Why are we here? Why are we doing what we're doing? And how do I do that in the best way possible? Okay, so sit with that thought for a minute. Observe how that makes you feel. I always tell you there's no wrong or right. It could stress you out. It could calm you. It can relax you. Whatever it is, it's okay. Just sit with it. I don't want to keep you too long. So bring your, bring your intention back to your breath. Um, start to wiggle your hands and your toes just to bring sensation back to your body. And when you're ready, gently open your eyes. Sorry for the little bit more of the rushed um, meditation, but you can take this meditation. You can do it at home, right? Take it with you. Think about this concept. Think about all the things that we've discussed and what it actually means practically. And um, if anyone has any questions, I'm not in a rush. I'm here. So questions, comments, how you feel, anything. Um, and then if you're good, we are back here next week. Question. Yes. You didn't um, finish your thought about why it was important that the spies were all men. Oh, oh, yes. Um, okay, I thought I did, but I'll clarify. So because we said that men get distracted by the abstract, right? Men inherently forget about the practical part of integrating God into the world, 
So it makes sense that the men were the ones that went into the land of Israel and were like, we're not doing this. If we get, if we start to work the land and get involved with the physicality, we're going to forget about God. The women are the ones that know how to integrate and know how to bring God into the, into the, into the world, into the day-to-day life, into raising a family, into working, into the physical world. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Women never stop doing. Don't forget both. about God. Women very, like as a general rule, we're like, they're the ones that can bring God into the world and men can too, but they need to be reminded and they need to be pushed and encouraged. If it's left up to their own devices or like, I'm out, I'm not doing this. Right. I don't trust myself to be able to do both of those things. Awesome. Any other questions? I have a random comment that like, I don't know, fully. Love fully the random comments. They're you know me, this is what I do. <laughs> but I um, work at a summer camp for kids and adults with special needs. And there was one time I was folding laundry. And for whatever reason, I was really angry. Like I was, I think someone, a, a co-counselor of mine hadn't folded. Like it yeah. was one of those, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember I was, this was like, I don't know, seven years ago. Um, and I was folding socks. And I remember having like just harboring this resentment that I, and I was folding these socks and I thought I had this like, whoa. And I was like, wait, Sarah, like either do this, bismcha, like do this yeah. with joy or don't do this. Like your campers don't deserve angry folded socks. Your resentment. Yeah. Yeah. Like your campers deserve socks folded with love and folded oh, with that's joy. Amazing. This is and exactly I was like, on point. And so my, one of my things is like, either do it basimcha or don't do it. Like either do it, you know, do it fully or say like, you know, maybe I'm going to step out or like say, Hey, can someone else do this for me? Um, if there's that option, but yeah, I think about like folding the socks. Yeah. I love that because you know, what, what do we want? What are we giving to God? What, what is it that we want to give him? Right. Do we want to serve him with resentment? I mean, and, and the truth is we have to remember that that at, at a certain point, it is about the action. So God would rather have the action than no action at all. But is that what, is that what you want? Right. Is that what, is that what if this is all about? Right. right? And it's like, so, we're just taking like a minute and being like, okay, what can I do right now in this moment? What can I move my attention to, to bring back some of that, like the way that I want to do this, as opposed to like the way exactly. that I don't. And I think the hardest thing for me um, to reconcile is, um, that piece of like, this is not about your spiritual development. This is not about your own personal journey with God, because then we would be able to determine what makes us feel good. It's not a feel. Remember where I said way in the beginning, this is not a feel good religion. Okay. You're not gonna, um, be, you know, you're going to be disappointed if you think that everything you do for God is going to feel always good, right? You can get there, but it's not a natural, um, first experience. So, um, that's what I keep on having to remind myself. It's not, this is not about me. This is about me giving God what he wants. And, and I know exactly what he wants because he told me. So yes, do I like, um, but if our mitzvah can tip the scale, then it's a bit about me. No, it's yeah. God needs you to do the mitzvah, right? That's why we're here because angels can't do it. Only we can do it. But the motivation behind the mitzvah is not for your, your self-improvement, you will have self-improvement when you do the mitzvah, but that is not the motivation behind it. The motivation behind it is I want to give God what he wants. 
And what he wants here is a dwelling place for God. And how he gets that dwelling place for God is through my actions. It's a means and how I give him a, a quality dwelling place for God is with the proper intention with my action. So I think it's very, especially in this generation, it's very, very hard for it not to be about us, right? Because it's uh, so much of the things that we're taught, especially in the therapeutic world is what feels good for you, right? What feels good? What jives? What makes you, what feels good for you? And I, I, I am in that world. So I want to say, yes, that's important. But in connection to your service of God, that's secondary, right? Um, and that's a hard balance to, to kind of reconcile. And so I get it, but we need to talk about it. We need to, we need to be real with, with what the reality is. And when we are told that this is not really about you, it can hurt. It could be ouch. Well, why not? Why isn't this about me? Um, and so it's tricky. I'm not saying, um, I mean, this is tricky for me because I'm very much in that world of, you know, how to be the most health, healthiest person in this world. So, and then we have, you know, you have this concept of self-care and how do we take care of ourselves and how do we take care of others? And it is a big deal, but it doesn't mean that we can't explore the idea that it's not always about us, right? We can serve God selflessly for God. And at the same time, um, caring about ourselves at the same time, being healthy humans, right? Like we can do that. It takes effort and work, but we definitely can do that. Um, so anyways, thank you for joining. Um, oh, let me stop the recording. Uh, ooh, that's going to be a long recording. Sorry guys. <laughs>